Welcome to Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. Woohoo! The podcast where we talk about gay stuff and discuss the week in LGBTQ plus history. history. We got the LGBTQ plus, plus history. We got the history and the history. And All right, don't oversell it. All right. We are Thomas, Tony, Kendall. And this week we're going to talk to you about the week of August the 2nd through August the 8th. And we are going to discuss the murder of William Simpson, George Bush's 2000 Republican nomination acceptance speech, and Steve Eden. Woof. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll be talking about a lot of a lot of men's is, is. all right. Well, that's uh, good. Before we dive into our topics, can I just mention a thing about a uh, uh, you know one of our sponsors, Baked Bones? A recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade. And while we're growing more and more aware of the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our stress can have on our pets. According to a 2019 study, there is a synchronization between stress hormones. And humans and their dogs. If you're a dog parent, you probably know that your pup is very good at reading your body language and can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. I wonder what your pets are thinking while you're home during quarantine. They're like, what? We're always working to reduce our own stress in any way we can, but what about the anxiety we have passed on to our dog? Baked Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs, and Baked Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic, organic human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. Verified, they do. They do. Check out BakedBones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and the other benefits it may provide. Baked Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save 15% using your promo code that we are giving you, and they are giving you. It's G-A-Y-S-T-U-F-F-1-5. That's gay stuff. 15 for 15% off. Baked Bones is LGBTQ owned and operated and is based in H-Town. That's Houston, Texas. Baked Bones uh, has 10% of all their profits go to no-kill shelters in the U.S. Baked Bones, baked dogs, happy. Woof. Woof. There we go. Woof. All right. So uh, so what's been going on? Any any fun reads? Anything interesting um, that's, yeah. that's, been, that's been going on? Yes. Well, I guess before we got get into our topics which are all male yeah. uh talk about some lesbians right. so there was a, there was an article this week that um i saw that there's a lesbian bar in dallas that you know the article was kind of this lesbians. lesbian bar it survived like you know decades of things because it's very open to like multiple people like gays and lesbians whatever but the crux of the article was um this lesbian bar should survive but in it it mentioned there are only 10 lesbian bars left in the United States. What? And there are only two in Texas, one in Houston. And the the one in Houston, like two days after I read this article, they're starting a GoFundMe because they're like, okay, this pandemic is drawn on long enough that we don't know if we can survive this, whatever. Um, Pearl Bar. But I, Yeah. But I just thought that was interesting that there's only 10 left in the U.S. And, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about cookies which was New York City lesbian bar in the 60s. Um, and at that time, you know, there were probably over a dozen gay bars, but there were only two lesbian bars in all of Manhattan. And mm -hmm. like, I, I feel like ever since I've lived in Houston, there's 
always been maximum one lesbian bar. There's periods where there's yeah. none while it's, you know, one closes and then they wait a while to reopen. So it, it just kind of jumps out at you like, wow, like because we talk about the gay bars, you know, are they all going to close? But lesbians have it worse than we do. They're like, well, chances, you know, it burned down. Right. And then they reopened and called it second chances. <laughs> Then what happened? <laughs> no, but everyone called. Did you hear about that fish fry? The lesbian bar burned down. <laughs> Shut up. That's why I was laughing. It was, it was hilarious. He tells that joke. Or a clam bake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. So 10 lesbian bars. And all, in the U.S., yeah. And two of them are on the verge of, like, shutting down. At least the, one, the two in yeah, Texas. Yeah, the two in Texas. Well, and the article kind of implied the one in Dallas... It may get a little rocky, but it because it's it's been uh, in service since the '80s, and one of the reasons it survived all of these uh, is because you know s- some gay bars, if lesbians go in there, they're like, uh, "What the fuck are you doing in here?" Some lesbian bar because I I never went to Chances, but apparently like if it's you pretty went hostile, in, yeah, very hostile if you weren't like a lesbian, and so um, and apparently some lesbian bars, if you're not a certain type of lesbian, they're like, what are you doing here? But they said this lesbian bar in Dallas, it's very, always been very open. Like this lady, she's run it for decades. And, um, you know, she said like, no matter, we're very welcoming to like gay men and lesbians, anybody that comes in the door or whatever, all walks of life. So they should. But also I don't feel they would have done an article if it wasn't potential you know, I mean, I get why. I mean, in terms of, uh, I mean, I hope hopefully they survive. I, I mean, this will be tough to, to get through. But I mean, in terms of, uh, not, I wouldn't say hostility, but just being like, hey, gays, get out of here. I mean, we talk about gay bars being a safe space, right? And yeah. so when you have gay bars, and I think about the times when uh, a certain running group that we are part of, we go to Pearl Bar, and it was mostly the gay men and maybe a couple of lesbians that showed up, but we were acting a fool, like, right? The lesbians weren't out there doing the worm on a dance floor, but we sure were, so yeah, it's yeah. just... Uh, then you better. <laughs> yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah, they're like, mm So I, I get it, I mean, because we can be a little bit, yes, and extra. It's not to say there aren't lesbians that do that, but it's a little bit more low-key uh, in terms of what they're yeah. what they're doing, at least the vibe that I've been at the, at the lesbian bar, so... Wow, but I still can't Well, they should have ex- expanded. And by expanded, I mean had room for to park U-Hauls in the parking lot. Oh, they did. They have an expansion that's called the... Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's called the Hitch Park. Since they drive up in U-Hauls to... The U-Hauls. Allegedly. The yeah. It's called the Hitch Park because they also get married there at the same time. So. Damn, I didn't yeah. go there. Shit. <laughs> You're going to get married to a lesbian? <laughs> Uh, you need to get married soon. Uh, Tony, we, uh, I don't, I cannot recall if we mentioned it was your birthday last week, but it was, uh, in terms of the last episode, but you got birthday coming up. Uh, so we got to get you married, girl. I see. It's funny. So I went to visit my, uh, sister and I have a nephew who's 30. And so, um, his girlfriend, they've been dating for like three or four years. So I've met her, you know, a handful of times. And so, you know, a couple drinks in, she goes, do you have a boyfriend? And I said, no. And she goes, really? She goes, Jordan, that's my nephew. She's like, Jordan just assumed you had a boyfriend, given your age. And so he's like, but he never brings him around. And I was like, no, if I had a boyfriend, I was like, how disrespectful would that be to, like, not bring him around? Like, I play with all the boys. Thank you, yeah. She's like, oh, you don't? Well, good thing they didn't assume you were widowed. (laughs) Right. 
I just assumed. That was her next. He's like, oh, did he die? I was like, no. <laughs> no. Well, Spence's mom, when Spence and I started dating, uh, she told him, uh, you know, you got to watch out dating, you know, older men because, you know, they get diseases and they're older uh, and they yeah. die soon. You know, it's all those sorts of things. So it's just like, <laughs> and this was when I was just a young 36-year-old or 37-year-old. Hey, bitch, I'm in my prime. I'm 39. So now, I'm, now I'm 41. Or I'm 40. You're 41. So happy belated birthday to you, Tony. Uh, why you got to call me out like that? Well, we celebrated your big four <laughs> so th- th- it's last year, so it's only uh, logical that we get to, to 41. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, another year. Uh, speaking of another year, we're... Another year. Another year. It's 2020, so we've got this uh, pledge we've been putting out on social yeah. media about going to vote. I mean, it's, you know, it's nothing. Um, it, it's just our little thing. It's my way. It, it, it's my pledge to myself. I figured I would uh, throw that out to other people. Uh, but just in terms of, you know, we can phone bank, and Tony, you and I have talked about this. Like, you know, we phone bank, but what about the people within our own sphere that sometimes we don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations about you know, registering to vote and going to vote. Um, and the pledge isn't necessarily about um, getting people to, uh, you know, it, it's not about um, having conversations about who to vote for. It's just making sure you're informed on the issue. One, you're registered to vote. That's the first thing. Two, that you are, ple- that you are pledging to also go vote, uh, that you register to vote. Three is getting someone out there, uh, regis- getting people informed about registering to vote. So getting three people to register to vote. Then it's getting people to go out and vote when, uh, you know, holding them accountable. And what I did with my parents and my sister uh, uh, last year in 2018 is I made sure they showed me the selfie sticker of I okay, voted. Yeah. So I'm like, I need to see that picture of you uh, that says I voted. Like, I need yeah. that. And so they all sent one, me one. And so they photoshopped it? Yes, they did. <laughs> But, I mean, that was the way I held them accountable. And we held all each other accountable. But I was like, one, I told, and I didn't tell them to. I mean, at the time, 2018 was a big deal because I was hoping we could have uh, unseated Ted Cruz from the Senate, uh, which, you know, Beto had a good po- good shot, didn't. But I was trying to get people to go vote. And I yeah. didn't tell them to go vote for Beto, but I'm like, here are the things about Beto and here are the things about Ted Cruz. I mean, you make your own decision, but whatever. But, you know, so I'm doing it upon myself again this year to go talk to some of my cousins, my nephew who just turned 18, making sure that one, they're registered to yeah. vote, and then I'm getting them to show me the selfie that you went to go freaking vote. Uh, and then be informed. The, the fifth piece of this pledge is to make sure you're informed about the the issues i mean um it's easy to tell what slant we have uh on this podcast in terms of who we're voting for for president even if it wasn't our first candidate right but um you know it's a big election i mean yes you were trying to unseat trump but i mean black lives matter that whole police you know defund the police thing uh you know concept i mean that isn't done at the presidential level that's done uh at the local level so all these elections matter you know, how uh, people get processed. You know, those are by the judges we are, are prosecuted. Those are by the judges we elect. So it's a it's a big deal. I mean, I'm not the one to be like, oh, because every candidate says it every four years. We've heard it every election since, you know, we can remember. Yep. This is the most, ele- you know, consequential election of our time. Uh, so I, I won't go that far. But, you know, it's important that we go vote. So um, yeah, and I guess the pledge. A uh, couple of comments I have on that are, you know, I do feel like, you know, every vote does matter. Um, you know, and I mean, a lot of people in the last election are like, well, I thought Hillary would win, so I didn't even vote. And, you know, Mitt Romney, who's probably the most outspoken Republican against uh, Trump, you know, he said the other day, he goes, I think Trump's going to win. Yeah. And, and he gave three reasons. Well, you know, one of them was incumbents just have a, an advantage. Um, but he said, young people and minorities are the most vocal 
like on social media, just in general, but they are the least likely to show up at the polls. And so that's why he feels polls are kind of, um, you know, not really reflective of what's going to happen on election day. So it's like, if you feel a certain way, go vote. And then on the education part, I hear you. It just takes a quick Google search of spending 30 minutes of let me just research some local issues. And I would say on every vote that matters, like uh, this was like uh, about a year ago, but in my city like district for city council, you know, the way Houston works is if nobody gets more than 50% of the vote, it goes to a runoff. So there were multiple candidates that went to a runoff. And in the runoff election, it was this ingrained politician that had been in politics forever. And a lot of people like, you know, you kind of just rubber stamp everything like, you know, um, you're ingrained with these unions, whatever. There was a progressive candidate, but they were separated by 10 votes. Yeah, that's and, and, You know, and so, I mean, every vote does matter. And to your point, like sometimes local elections matter a lot more than, I mean, the presidential, everything matters, but, you know, you can affect everything. So yeah, the if your city council's decided by 10 votes. Right. Yeah. Uh, city ordinances about, you know, who can use, uh, you know, uh, uh, equality, uh, you know, what access to certain governments and to, you know, to uh, use a bad term, but the bathroom, those sorts of things, those are determined by your city council members and your mayor. Yeah. So those are important elections to, to be a part, uh, to be a part of the, the, at the state legislator, legislature, that's also important. I mean, they're, especially this year, because they're determining the, uh, the districting boundaries in terms of yeah. the congressional districts. Right. Yeah. And so those are big things. And, uh, so it's a, I mean, Every election is important. This one is also important. Uh, and and I, I will admit in terms of educating myself, you know, with the ballots we have, in, and especially like in this area, I feel like there's 100 races and issues to vote for. Uh, yeah. Um, and so it's hard to keep track. I mean, I do use as a guidepost kind of like the Houston Chronicle, the uh, the LGBT uh, caucus here in, in, Houston, in here in Houston as a, as a guidepost to say, okay, where are these, where, where are they leaning? And then some of these things that where I, I have question marks on, I will go in and, and, and dig in deeper in terms of which candidates I want to vote but um you know again it's it's big it's a big deal we got to go vote yeah. so make sure you're registered to vote make sure you go vote help other people register to vote help them vote and be informed on yeah and issues. i guess i one this is a smaller example but um you know about 10 years ago in my area they had a recycling center about 15 blocks from my house and the other nearest recycling center is probably like a 20 minute drive 15 minute drive and so there was a big debate on whether they should shut that one recycling center down. And so it was a big debate and city council had to vote on it. And so little things like that, do I want to drive two minutes to recycling or 20 minutes? Yeah. You know, and I mean, that affect your daily life. And I know we got a big win with the Supreme Court, uh, you know, back in June with with regards to yeah. employment uh, discrimination or and companies can't discriminate against LGBT people or transgender people. Uh, but those issues yeah. are still on the ballot. I mean, you got different. I mean, I think Tony, you shared a, an article about some stuff going on in North Dakota where you know, there's still a, yeah, a I mean, big voice against the LGBTQ. Yeah. Community. So in North Dakota, the GOP, their their governor is a Republican, and the GOP, like their state party, passed like several resolutions that were anti-LGBT. And so the governor spoke out against them saying, no, every, you know, North Dakotan deserves like fair and equal shot. They, you know, don't deserve to be, they live, should, they deserve to live free. 
they shouldn't be discriminated against. And so probably because of his comments. So the party said, well, we'll reevaluate. Like we wanted to have like religious liberty and things like that, but we'll reevaluate exactly how we state these because, you know, we didn't mean to like harm anyone, but you know, elections do matter. And I, yeah, I do feel like individuals matter because I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of things work in our favor recently about uh, uh, conversion therapy and, you know, uh, discriminate outlawing those things in, in certain states and certain cities. But you still have this contingency. I think that article that you passed said hundreds of, of delegates or of legislators uh, of legislators talking about LGBT, LGBT practices as unhealthy and dangerous and sometimes endangering or shortening life and sometimes infecting society at large. Yeah. They're still using words that they, you know, we've talked about that they were using in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, and that's still happening in 2020, right? And yeah, and I mean, I just last year, the Florida state legislature passed laws that said cities cannot uh, outlaw gay conversion therapy. So they weren't saying like, oh, it's legal, but they're saying cities, mm, probably the bigger cities, you can't outlaw gay conversion therapy because it's, you know, like yeah. state law. It's just crazy. It's nuts. Selection state bad. law protects the right of individual communities to have conversion therapy. <laughs> Is how they interpret yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I feel, though, like it was, uh, you know, it, it was part of the platforms back in the day, but now I feel like it's, it is maybe met with some more venom in terms of how people when when you're anti it's not you've got the tide turning where there are more uh groups and 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 legislative bodies that are for the lgbt community but when you're that contingency that's against it you're not just like against it you're using words like uh what do they say uh infecting society i mean you're using yeah, it i from feel a, like you probably have to be a bit more dramatic or impactful so like if most of society's with you you can be a little oh here's what i believe and it's like yeah we're with you whereas if society's going like uh, what's wrong with gay people come on and it's like no they're infecting you know right because I, I think i mean and kendall maybe we could segue to your topic because I, I think you know when george, when i remember george bush uh george w bush talking about this topic gay marriage uh uh, back in the early 2000s, it was like, oh, it was a moral fiber, you know, it was, you know, religious freedom, and they still use that, but it was still more of a, like, a, this is about the sanctity of marriage and family, you, which is a same, same yeah, sentiment. family they're, values, They're, they're yeah. coming from the same place, I mean, in, in my mind. They were just masking it with nicer words, so maybe we're, we're better in the sense that we have, we know what you're saying, you know, when you say you're against uh, gay marriage, you mean you're, you're against us infecting your society, but they use softer tones, I think. Of course. In, in the, in the, Bush the same era. people that say, I wish, I love Trump, I just wish he wouldn't tweet as much. It's not the views they disagree with. It's the yeah, or the way like, it sounds uh, to them. Should, yeah, exactly. Or they kind of like, one thing I will say about Trump is I think he's very vocal about, like a lot of his supporters believe what he believes, but when he's that vocal, they're like, uh, and it's like, well, you believe the same thing. He's just like saying it. You know, you're just a little, I wouldn't say it that way. It's like, uh, well, you believe it, so at least he's saying it the way he believes it, you know? 
So, so yeah, I mean, we've got Trump, right? Yeah. Remember when we, we thought George W. Bush was the, was the, the evil. Uh, I remember him saying, he's like, I don't look so bad now, do yeah, I? So, <laughs> and now, now we've got Trump. So tell us, hearken us back to simpler times, Kendall. When so August 3rd, so this week, August 3rd, 2000, um, 20 years ago, George W. Bush accepted the Republican nomination in Philadelphia. Um, so this was obviously before 9-11, not even the 21st century yet. Um, and the platform in that year had the typical against same-sex marriage in the Republican platform um, against any anti-discrimination law for the gays. What is the Republican platform? Is it like six inch heel? Is it, a, you know, is it, is it bedazzled? Is it jeweled? A kitten a, heel. A, re- a kitten heel. They can barely stand A on. kitten heel platform. All right. Th- that makes sense. But a lot of the same issues that are still in the 2020, 20 years later, Republican platform, in 2020, the Republican platform is still against same-sex marriage. It's, it, it's mind-blowing. As much and, and this was like before a lot of states were passing. Uh, yeah, before any. Yeah. So george w bush he ran in 2000 as a compassionate conservative oh i hate that term because the republicans had been so we had had the clinton years with monica Lewinsky and all of that mess but the republicans viewed were viewed as being so high-minded and so arrogant and so nitpicky um that they were almost that Bill Clinton people started feeling sorry for Bill Clinton because the Republicans were so anti anything that he was for. Yeah. Um, so George W. Bush wanted to be seen as compassionate conservative, like I'm not one of those uber crazy churchy <laughs> judgmental Christians, but he really was. The Christians loved him because he um, is a former alcoholic who talked about. Billy Graham turned he turned his life over to Jesus mm-hmm. after meeting Billy Graham and all this kind of stuff. So the Christians loved him. He found because God. he was a an example of repent repenting. And he was kind of a good old boy. I remember like during that election, a lot of people were like they were kind of debating between him and Al Gore that may have been middle they're like, I just would want to have a beer with him. Oh, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah was that was a co- like. Although he didn't drink beer, but no, but <laughs> yeah. right with the alcoholic, he drank. Well, that would be fun. Whiskey, if you could get him to have a beer, that'd yeah. be a lot of fun, probably. <laughs> Apparently, Michelle Obama did. Now he's like drinking all the time. <laughs> Is he really? A lot of people think he started drinking like in his late, late in his second term, and then at uh, whose funeral was it where he was right next to Michelle Obama? And they're kind of kidding and joking. Oh and, yeah. It was I think it was Nelson, Nelson Mandela. Oh, maybe, maybe yeah. But a lot, like, a lot of people say, no, you could see a difference between like, his last couple of years of his second uh, term that he started drinking. Huh. Well, there's a picture of him when they, they thought he was drunk going up behind, who was the German chancellor? Oh, Angela Merkel yeah. and scaring her. Yeah. And she was like, this is really weird. It was very, very awkward. Yeah. Um. But anyway, at this time, before he ran in 2000, he was not an alcoholic. That's some Joe Biden action right there. Right, sniffing people. (laughs) And he wasn't drunk. (laughs) He's just just weird. But he had become governor. He beat Ann Ann Richards, Richards, my 
favorite politician. But there have been rumors that Ann Richards, because she was divorced and she was a recovering alcoholic, that she was a lesbian. And because she uh, appointed a lot of gay and lesbian people in her government when she was governor, it was Karl Rove and George Bush used that to scare people about her. Yeah. You know, like Ann Richards, the radical feminist appointing all these lesbians. Like he had a whisper campaign about her and where did he whisper? He whispered. <laughs> it was only one place to whisper on a lesbian. That's what Martha Martha always talks about whispering. She just can we just I'm just gonna kiss around it and whisper it. <laughs> Martha. Friend of the show, Martha. We gotta we gotta bring her back. If she still listens. Special guest. <gasps> We'll find out because she'll text me. Exactly. I still listen from. That's how I know if people like text crazy. You mentioned something crazy, and people are like, "Oh my god!" That's why I know like the three people that listen. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, I listen to your podcast." No one texts me. The three people. <laughs> Just my mom. I still listen. She's catching up. Oh, she's probably appalled. Love you, Lana. Um, but when she was when he was running for governor against her, he used that George Bush and Karl Rove whole lesbian rumor campaign against him. So he had no problems um, using gay prejudices to as campaign tactics. So that was in 2000. Typical anti-LGBT platform that they want to put into every platform they have. 2004, uh, George W. Bush was running against John Kerry and it was obvious that a lot of people were against the war. It was a time to get him out of the office. It seemed like it was obvious John Kerry would win. <laughs> God, I hope we're not here right now. Ah, uh, see, I, I honestly, months. at the time, I mean, maybe it's because I was living in Louisiana. I thought he had no chance. Oh, no. See, I, I thought he was going to. I mean, I, I was here in Texas, and I was like, oh, he's going to win. Everyone was against John him. John Kerry? Yeah, the people, the, you know, he was. But the, you thought John Kerry was going to win. Yeah, I thought the tide had turned. What well, he won, Bush won uh, right. by, he lost the popular vote. Right. 9-11 was a fumble. Yep. Uh, I mean, it was a tragedy, but in terms of later finding out, he, he fumbled it. Then he fumbled us getting into Iraq. Right. Uh, and then there was just this big public swell. Bin like, Laden had I, not been found. But yeah. see, I guess everybody that I was surrounded by at the time was like, they just didn't like John Kerry. They're like, he's elitist. And so that's why I, I never thought he had a well, chance. Well, that's how they painted him, right? And then right, fl- yeah, yeah. And then a flip-flopper. Like, yeah, it worked. Imagine yeah. someone evolving on issues. Like, it's just... Uh, yeah. yeah. But whatever. Um, oh, it's interesting, though. Because, I mean, during that election, I just okay. thought... As it, as it got closer, I was like, okay. He's well, he knew it was going to be close, and he knew the he yeah. had to have the core conservative evangelical show up. So he pushed... Um, this issue of gay marriage and it was all over the news, especially cable news um, where the gays are trying to get married and it's going to change marriage and family forever for the worse. You know, this is the, the kind of argument they were and you selling had states that were doing that were passing. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had Massachusetts. Yep. So what they pushed was California, for every Vermont. state to put on as a ballot initiative of uh, whether or not same sex marriage should be legal to draw voters. Right. Yep. So it, they had a huge conservative um, uptick of voters. So it was tactics like that that he used. Yeah. Um, in 2008, he was still pushing for, or not he, the Republican Party in general on their platform was still pushing for to defend the Defense of Marriage Act. 
Well, he was trying to pass a. Uh, I mean, he, yes. He so in 2004, out. he was trying to push a constitutional amendment to forever ban same-sex marriage. Right. It was that big of a deal. Yes. Which I don't think they ever would have tried because then you don't have your issue that you use to get out the votes. Right. You know. That's a good point. Maybe yeah. Sometimes you don't want it to be. But the family, I mean, the Bush family was never for uh, LGBTQ rights, at least politically. Maybe in private they were for for gay people. But you know what? If you're not, if you're in private and and not in public, then you know, not in your political life, then that's just gross. Uh, at least, I mean, I get it's politics, but it's it's yeah, it's not good. I, this is what used to get me in trouble in corporate America all the time. I was like, I couldn't say one thing in secret and then come out and try something yeah. else. I'm like, no, we're either I'm all in or not, and so. Um, but, uh, I mean, the, his dad, I mean, HW was not pro LGBT. I mean, again, later in life, Barbara Bush, didn't she say she didn't care? And same thing with Laura and, Bush. And I think Laura Bush, But yeah. when it mattered, they cared. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were well, and it. I think maybe deep down in their hearts, like, especially Laura and Barbara versus the men, um, you know, they had to have known gay people and they probably like, well, and Ken Melman, I mean, Bush is a, you know, it was his chief campaign officer like the second election um, yeah his this anti-gay election which was pretty much 2004 yeah campaign manager winds up being gay yeah and so at a personal level you have to believe if he was that adamant against gay marriage or gay people it was like so that's where i feel it's like well i don't firmly believe this but i'll pan well laura bush votes. says that when he was pushing for all these constitutional amendments Laura said, she said, are you sure you want to do this? Because we have a lot of gay friends. And she said that's the full extent they talked about it. Yeah. But, I mean, you exploit it. Even if you think, oh, yeah, I don't really mean it. And uh, I'm sorry to your friends. You exploited gay people and the hatred that people have towards gay people yeah. to do that. I mean, I don't think Trump's anti-LGBT. Like, personally, I'm sure he has gay friends. Oh, he was a liberal until, like, 15 years yeah. ago. What and, are you kidding and, me? Yeah. But it benefits him now to yeah. be. Right, exactly, yeah. Well, and I I know I mentioned this. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I don't think I'm I'm not. Never mind. It was it was in defense of the president. And I have nothing. To, I, there's no reason to defend yeah. him. But as I had mentioned to you guys a, a couple weeks ago, like um, uh, there was an advisor very close to President Johnson. He had a career in politics, and he was married with like five kids. He got caught cruising, got arrested. And when that happened, President Johnson said, okay, cutting the cord, you know, and Lady Bird said, you can do what you want, but I'm speaking out for him. He's our friend. And he's like, you can't do that. And she's like, you can't do that because you're a politician. She goes, he's my friend and I'll speak out for him. Although his, uh, the opposing campaign, I forget who he ran against that year, but they did use, they had bumper stickers with, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I forget what it was, but it was like something in the yeah. YMCA too, or cause I think he got busted at the Y. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But I guess her thing was, he's my friend. I'm not going to turn my back. And president Johnson was like, I'm running a campaign. I have to, Yeah. you know? And it's like, well, well, yeah. Wait, is this your topic? No. no. Oh, okay. I was no. gonna say because <laughs> no. we're still at mine. I'm not gonna steal your thunder. Oh, Finish. Okay. You and your four senses and oats. <laughs> well, well, just that to we're wrap, done now. We go. Just to wrap that up. <laughs> wrap um, it up. That's our motto. But every year, like in 2012, at that point, they were defending the Defense of Marriage Act. They were defending uh, "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." Um, and which I mean, for for 
you know, clarity purposes, right? I mean, it was the Clinton administration that passed those, uh, those, I mean, it wasn't Bush. I mean, as much as Bush gets like all the hatred on L LG, all this anti-LGBT stuff, we must remember that it was the Clinton administration that passed. Yep. Don't ask, don't tell. That fucking Republican. Candle uh, yeah, hates him. So. <laughs> yeah, somebody said Clinton is the most successful Republican president we've ever had. Well, you say I mean, that. That said, I still, I mean. And everyone's like. But he was a Democrat. If you read interviews uh, and listen to people in his administration and some of the LGBTQ people at the time, they were like, you know, especially like don't ask, don't tell. It's like we could finally be in the military. We just couldn't be out. Right. Mm -hmm. So because before, if you you couldn't be in the military, if you were gay. Right. right? And so now you could be in the military. You just no one could ask you about it and you weren't supposed to talk yep. about it, which is not great. But it was a step forward. As much as I know there are plenty of 18-year-old gays and, you know, 20-something millennials who'll be like, this is wrong. And yes, it was not good. But it was – if you listen to some of the yeah, people who lived at the time progress. who were I mean, in the military, something. they were like, at least I could be in the military. Because before, I had I stood no chance. Yeah, and it's a step. Yeah. I mean – so. What do you mean you could lie and say you're straight? Well, then you, you're you lying, and then, you, you know, in the military, you're supposed to – it's about honor, yeah. right? And so it's like you're this – it was – and it got so to now they're just not allowed to ask right back then. Afterwards. Well, and then it got to a point. I mean, the, the, what we did a post uh, back in July about uh, the first. Um, damn it, I'm forgetting what position. The first woman to be uh, become a general. Uh, if she was appointed under the Obama administration, but she had actually left in 2008 or 2009 the military. She was going to leave because she was like, I can't reconcile this anymore. She's like, I'm supposed to I, I uphold this oath to live my honor, you know, or to be honorable and, you know, to be uh, to live with courage and, and conviction. And I can't bring my personal life to 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 work which is consumes my life like it just does she's like i couldn't so she was going to quit and then they they called her back and actually she said it was um mcmullen general mcmullen at the time he was uh he was speaking to congress and saying yeah we've got to get rid of this don't ask don't tell because it's not it's not productive mm -hmm. for our employer or our military members so she was like okay knowing the tide was going to turn and obama was going to be elected or she was hoping then yeah it but yes yeah, so I got off, got us off track. But you were talking about don't ask, don't tell, Doma, and I was like, before we go hating on the Republicans, which is easy for us to do, uh, it is it's worth noting that it was the Clintons, or it was Bill Clinton in particular, who passed those laws, and tried to spin it as a victory. <laughs> well, that's what I just did. Uh, so that was 2012, but. Moderate Remember temporary. the other issue, the gay issue of the year. There's always a different one that pops up every few years. The Boy Scouts controversy mm -hmm. that um, gay Boy Scout masters or chaperones, whatever they're called, teachers, um, could not be out of the closet. And it was such a national issue that they, the Republican Party put it in their, their platform that you should not be gay and be a Boy Scout leader. <laughs> it's it's crazy that that's, that's what they think. And then in 2016, it's considered one of the most, if not the most, anti-LGBT platforms in Republican history. 2016? Yep, the most recent one, which is also 2020 because they just adopted 2016. Yeah, yeah. And it's what they're doing is they're softening their tone on what they say about us, but they're keeping the list the same, still against yeah. same-sex marriage, still against anti-discrimination laws, but they've expanded it to include a lot of trans language. <laughs> 
So to include people in there. Yeah. So do you think, uh, I mean, I listened to a bunch of talk radio. Um, it tends to be neutral. Uh, so that's what I, that's why I listen to the, the shows that I do, but there are different points. I mean, in terms of how, what, what, at what point do we attribute all of this divide? Is it Trump? Is it, um, Obama? Is it Bush? Is it Clinton? Bush senior Reagan? Like when does that, or even good Nixon, LBJ, like when is, when did this, I don't remember it. It's always been here. The divide in the country? Yeah. But oh, it, it's always been here. But, I mean, you hear, like, Chris Matthews would talk about, back in the day, Tip O'Neill and Reagan would, you know. Mm, I, I would no, say. No, that's romanticized. I would revisionist. say, like, Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter, it was, no matter what your beliefs were, once you were elected, it's like, we're coworkers, let's work on a resolution. And I think after that, because I do feel like both of them, I do feel Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter were both like good people. I, I mean, they had their political beliefs, but they were good people and they would be willing to meet in the middle. I feel like after that, like that's when we started this divide. And I feel it's just gotten more concrete ever since. Like probably starting with Reagan. You think I, Reagan. I think that's where it's like, okay, here are my ideals and they're pretty far away from yours. And people just become more solidified and more ingrained. And I, I do feel like when Obama was elected, it was like you either were like, what an amazing accomplishment or what the fuck is going on with this country? Yeah. And then Trump furthered that where it's like people are like, for the first time in my lifetime, this guy is what I want. And people are like, holy fuck, how could this be the person that was elected president? Right. So... I feel it kind of started with Reagan. So I do feel like, and even Nixon, I mean, Nixon started the EPA, you know, he proposed like nationalized healthcare. Yeah. I feel Gerald Ford was a good guy, you know, middle of the road. I feel like Carter was, I feel it kind of started with Reagan. I even, I mean, I, so we talked this about divide. some of the, the laws that were passed, uh, like the ADA, right. That was uh, Americans with disabilities act. Uh, that was under H.W. Bush, right? And so I tell my students, I'm like, yes, sometimes you know, Republicans and Democrats can get along. Yeah. Because uh, I remember it being somewhat. I just, and my mile marker is the Clintons. I mean, Bush, um, I think his, his he had some um, wind at his back or fire at his back because of, of all the Clinton scandals. But, I, I mean, people were coming. I mean, Clinton wasn't a good guy in terms of what he did to women and, and that sort of stuff, right. all the scandals he was associated with. Uh, I liked him politically. Um, he spoke to what I was you know, thinking, and I never actually had a chance to vote for him. Um, but I just remember the whole, like, Monica Lewinsky thing. It was just like, I mean, my simple mind at 18 years old when I, this was coming to be, it was like, he got a BJ in the white house, like big freaking Whoop, deal. Like yeah. you don't think any of those founding fathers in 1776 mm -hmm. signing, mm -hmm. signing the declaration of independence away from their families in Philadelphia, you know, may have visited a brothel or two or had no personal assistance at the, you know, independence slaves hall. that they had. That they owned, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, sex let's, slaves. let's calm down. You, I mean, it, Newt yeah. Gingrich later is revealed to have, you know, be cheating on his wife, right? Who was leading the charge against yeah, Clinton. Yeah. So I was just like, it was to me, that was gross. And then it was just because you had so much anti-Clinton uh, animosity, you know, Bush was able to kind of ride that energy. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, I think that's kind of what led to Hillary Clinton's demise as well. And why 
Donald won, but whatever. Presidents. We're talking about politics. We're into it. What else? Anything else with W? No, my whole thinking was, God, that was 20, that was last century. It's technically 2000. That was, was the 20 last years of, ago, for fuck's sake, yeah. And their platform is basically the same. It, I think they've added more like the bathroom bill type mm, stuff in 2016. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have to clarify, because I said this earlier, the bathroom bill. Now we've said it twice, maybe three times. Uh, looking at the, because again, I mentioned we got called out uh, by using the you know, the term transgendered instead of the proper term transgender. So I went on to, I think it's glad uh, they have a site in terms of the proper pronouns and proper ways to uh, okay, address yeah. transgender yeah. folks. So I encourage you all to check it out. Uh, and um, the the things they were saying not to say is the bathroom bill because what it does is it demeans the um, the the debate mm. right. It's just about where someone can go to the bathroom, and it's really bigger than that, right? Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. The bathroom bill is we're we're stealing a term that the Republicans basically mm-hmm. the, the conservative side of the argument saying, oh, this is about a bathroom, and you know these men wanting to go and look at our daughters and and wives, at, you know, at, in in the restroom, and that's really not what it's about. And so I I note that. Because, again, I said it earlier, and, and Kendall just said it as well. So um, we just need to be mindful of uh, our siblings in the transgender community who um, yeah. who may be af- offended or take offense by the, us talking about referring to a big issue about transgender rights, just distilling it down to the bathroom bill. Yeah. Cause I, I, and I, I guess to your point, um, that's exactly right, where when we try to include transgender people into LGBT legislation, it's like, Republic or you know anti-trans people automatically go to like, well, do you want pedophiles in the bathroom? Right. That's exactly what they go to. And, and they're they, like, this is not about that. Yeah. <laughs> this is me living with my true self and and being able to. Because I remember that. like when that whole thing came before Houston, I was like, I'm pretty sure everybody just wants to go to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. Like nobody is wanting to get into a bathroom for anything other than. To go to the bathroom. Well, thank you for making that point, though, Tony, because, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying we need to stop saying that just to be the PC police. I'm like, there is a, a bigger thing to it, right? It's not just about the bathroom, which is what, again, the Repub- the conservative folks tend to want to distill it down to. is like, who can, you know, can people coming into the bathroom yeah. stare at the women? And that's not, uh, yeah, that's not what it's about. Yeah, it's about transgender folks being able to live their true life uh, and have all the rights that LG like gay people have, right. gay and lesbian people. Well, have. Every, yeah. everyone has. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, yeah. we're we're still struggling for some rights yeah, as yeah. well, right? And so, yeah, um, yeah it, it, I think that's the, the what it boils down to. So, yeah. Um, but Bush and you know, so I guess what Kendall is telling us is not a lot has changed from Bush to Mm-mm. to Trump and. Here we are. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for taking us back to, to down memory lane. Now, I, I, for one, as much as I um, do not see, I, I, I think there's a clear distinction between Bush and Trump. I have no nostalgia for Bush. There are a lot of folks who are like, oh, Bush, I wish it, you know, and seeing the pictures with him and Michelle Obama, they feel good about it. And uh, no, that doesn't that doesn't do it. He doesn't get off the hook for all the things he did against anti-LGBT people, putting us in wars that we shouldn't that we're still in today that we forget about. And, you know, it's he doesn't get a pass for me. That's so sorry. I don't think so either. Yeah. But I know a lot of people want to. Oh, we, you know, it was well, Trump is turned no. off people so much that they think he looks like yeah. a great guy now. Yeah. I mean, my thing is, 
if we had him or Trump the past four years, I'd probably prefer him. But it's like I also don't think he gets a pass. It's like I he didn't, you know, like send special forces to cities where, you know, minorities were and. Trying to think, did he? No, he didn't do it. No, he just spent, sent troops to Iraq where they didn't belong, yeah. right? I mean, but oh no, no, I I agree with that. He, horrible president, then, but you know, Lady Bunny would tell us, you know, Barack Obama sent troops to you know troops troops to uh, uh, Syria, Syria uh, uh, you know, where they weren't weren't wanted either. So uh, such is life. Okay, yeah. uh, none of them are perfect, but some of them are really bad people. And again, probably some people would argue they're all bad people, but uh, some yeah. worse than others. Yes. So yeah. All right. This, that's what politics is about uh, in terms of uh, we can talk about all these voting it's just like who's the least worst so well speaking of the worst the media um no, so i'm going to talk about a murder um a murder a murder uh a murder that this? happened is in the 1950s in miami is this uh, our spoopy podcast did we did we uh they could have done that? this Maybe they'll maybe <laughs> we'll inspire them maybe they'll invite you uh they invited you last year to do it. Mm-hmm. maybe they'll invite you back so this, um, what I'm talking about tonight, it was a murder of a young gay man in Miami in the 1950s. And because the way the media portrayed it, it really led to like this gay panic. Uh, and it really had like decades, uh, long lasting effects against the gay community in Florida and Miami. So... In 1954, William Simpson, he was a a 27-year-old flight attendant. He worked for Eastern Airlines. He was originally from Kentucky. He lived in Miami. He moved there because he wanted to be able to kind of, uh, you know, be himself as a gay man. So in the 1950s in Miami, they did have a gay scene, but it was completely underground, undercover, like everything was hidden. There were no, like, public gay bars or anything. Um but he actually led a pretty modest life. So he was a flight attendant. He was pretty quiet. He, um, a lot of the flight attendants, they would have these uh, massive crew parties, but he didn't really go to a lot of those. He didn't go to a lot of these underground gay bars, you know, kind of led a pretty quiet life in Miami. Um, so on August 2nd, 1954, he... Uh, he was on a, a flight from Detroit to Miami, um, and he, you know, his coworker said he was completely giddy the whole flight because he had a date that night. He was really excited for this date that he had. Um, his landlord said that, yeah, I saw him leave the apartment about 10 o'clock. Um, in the early morning hours of August 3rd, his body was found. He was laying in a bed of gravel, a uh, pool of blood, um, and he was discovered by this couple that was going to this uh, lover's lane. So in Miami, there was an area that, you know, you have Miami Beach, you have the mainland and this big bridge that goes over. Um, underneath that bridge, there was a secluded beach and it's where uh, people went to like make it. They would drive their cars under there. They would make out. They would have sex, whatever. It was called lover's lane. So this couple was going there for the night to do whatever and they found him there. And his car was, you know, a couple hundred yards away. Um, they saw the blood trickle from the car to the thing. Um, and so what happened was, you know, about f- they, the police did an investigation and they uh, found the guys within about four days. Um, so there were these two guys that um, 
they would purposely roll gay men. So what they would do is they had this uh, operation going where one of the guys, he would hitchhike and purposely try to get in the car of a gay man. And he would say, hey, you know, let's go to this secluded place, you know, where everybody makes out, has sex. Um, and as soon as he got in the car, his buddy would start following them. So as soon as uh, that guy and the gay guy would get to the you know seclusion and they would start doing stuff the buddy would break into the car and the two guys would rob the gay guy and so up until this point um because the gay guy wouldn't go to the police and yeah exactly he wouldn't go to the police and at that time he's probably half naked vulnerable and it's like take whatever i want you know you guys have guns knives whatever i mean you can't go to the police we talked about this with alan turing when he got like the guy who basically brought him down and castrated because he was like oh what happened and they're like oh well you know because you don't want to admit you're gay because that's illegal right so wow yeah so historically they would just rob somebody and that was it so on this night Details are sketchy about exactly what um, what this guy did, but uh, the the two suspects they felt threatened and so they shot him. And so he, you know, busted out of his car, was crawling away, and he's like, "Leave me alone, leave me alone." But they were so threatened that they killed him. Uh, so they ended up stealing his wallet, which had twenty five bucks. They stole his car keys, and they, you know, just kind of ran off. So. The crime itself is, you know, probably something that happened, you know, several times, whatever. The media coverage is, it really kind of turned the whole community against gay people. So the original report was, hey, this guy was found dead because he was in this area. It was obviously a sex crime. Kind of we think he was gay, you know, like police are investigating. So the police investigated, and what they did is they talked to his neighbors, they talked to his friends, and then the friends were like, we'll talk to this guy, whatever. So they thought, oh, wow, this guy's gay. We think probably, like, when we do this investigation, we're probably going to find about 30 gay people that are part of this, you know, area of town. So the police were shocked to find that there were 500 gay men in this colony, and they, they kept calling it a colony. So this... It was pretty much the gay area of town. And they were like, there's this gay colony of 500 gay men that, uh, you know, live here. And he was part of this. And that's now exa- it's called Key West. Is that the gay? Is that the gay area? Of Miami? <laughs> it's in northern Miami, <laughs> northern, northeast Miami. Um, so a few days after his murder, the headline was pervert colony uncovered in Simpson slaying probe. And the reporter is like, dude. These two guys, and, and they, they, you know, um, they interviewed, like, the wives and girlfriends of these two suspects, and, and they interviewed several gay people, and the gay people were like, yeah, like, we've seen these guys around this area, and we've seen the one hitchhiking, and as soon as he gets in the car, the other one follows, and the girlfriends are like, you know, we're just, they were down on their luck, whatever. So the media painted this as, these are two guys trying to rob people to like make ends meet because they found a gay guy, which they targeted gay people. They freaked out and they had to kill him. And so panic defense. Yeah. And it was one of the first times in the country that the gay panic defense was used. And so, um, 
It was literally the media painting this as if this guy wasn't gay, he wouldn't have had to have been murdered. And so he, he would have just been robbed. Right. <laughs> and so these guys said, like, look, we rolled a bunch of gay men. This guy put the moves on us, even though the second they shot him, he busted open his car door and was crawling out and said, like, and he was looking forward to his date. So which makes me think. He probably picked this guy up on, I'm going the same way you are. Let me give you a ride. Like, oh, not in a, in a, in a, uh, um, a romantic contest. Right. It and even like, if it was, it was probably, you're looking for a hookup and so am I. Let's, I mean, I, I don't want to be murdered. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, I mean, hitchhiking. No, so he, he never met the date, which makes me think he was like, helping a you're, hitchhiker. you're hitchhiking. I will give you a ride to where I'm going or whatever. Cause he never met the date, which was not night. uncommon. Right. I, mean, I yeah, will yeah. say I picked this up, was 1950s. Yeah. I've, I've picked up a hitchhiker once and that was in 2000. And you blew him. I mean, well, no, I was with some friends. We were doing a road trip from Texas to Georgia and we, we, uh, Bait bus. we, <laughs> yes. We're like, Hey, but we gave him, he was, my friend was like, Hey, we should pick, you know, like we should give him a ride cause he was out of gas. We did. It was the first time I'd ever, and only time I've ever done that. But, uh, my point is that happened and, and I, it wasn't uncommon even for that to happen in 2000. Yeah. So uh, 1950, it wasn't out of the character, right? Yeah. So he was probably just giving this guy a ride. So basically the original, so the attorney general at the time, he said, look, this is first degree murder. They were committing a felony offense, aggravated uh, robbery when they did this totally, you know, first degree murder, because of the media stories that said, look, um, you know, these this gay community, we have to fear them. We didn't we didn't know they were here. We didn't know they were this big. This is like horrible. Um, we don't know what's going on here. There was literally this community fear of what is going on with these gays. Like it forced these two guys who normally rob people to murder somebody. And so they kind of painted it as. Because this guy was gay, it led to murder. Like normally, they would just rob somebody. Now they had to re result or revolt to murder, um, and so the jury was swayed, and they basically reduced the charge to manslaughter uh, for these. He was presented as a pervert in court, and, and you know the police said like, this guy got mixed up in the wrong crowd. He was with this gay colony. He wanted to be queen of the colony, and so because of that, like. You know, there's all this drama and stuff. Um, the media just led to this crazy, and because of them, the community was just, you know, paranoid about like gay people. So it really led to like a great deal of activism against the gay community for decades. So Christian activists and elected officials at the time immediately we're like, we need to step up our game. We need to stop the, this gay community, like this gay colony, what's going on here. So they mandated the police to like increase raids on the gay community after like two weeks when the raids didn't um, increase enough. The police chief was almost fired for not um, having enough raids on the gay community. Um, they were worried that this would affect tourism. Like, if we have this gay colony here, like, you know, are tourists going to stop coming to Miami? Um, Eastern Airlines, which is the airline that he worked for, they stopped hiring male flight attendants for a while. They were like, okay, we don't want to be any part of this. Um, there was actually a documentary, documentary produced about the dangers of gay people. Um, 
There were three main Miami I newspapers. It's a uh, on on Pornhub. It's, it's riveting. It's riveting. <laughs> Woof. Are there hotties in there? Uh, They're I, riveting. I think the uh, the, the critics Woof. gave it uh, two fists up. <laughs> um, so there were three main Miami newspapers at the time, and all of them from the mid fifties through the nineteen sixties, they kept reporting on. This was the old gay area. Here's the new gay area. Beware of this area. This is where the gays are. Oh, this law is and what's order. happening. Yeah. We heard, we, that, 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 uh, that's coming back, right? Law and order. Law and order. Um, the state of Florida set up a Florida legislative investigative committee. And the purpose, and this was all based on this murder, and th- there are these gays in Miami. And so they said they distributed literature that warned citizens about gay activity and here's what the you know consequences of allowing gay people in society are um they targeted uh teachers so any teacher in florida they tried to root them out this is you know similar to like the mccarthy era and um you know they think this kind of mentality led to Anita Bryant really becoming vocal. I was vocal just about to say that. Because informs- she was early 70s. Mm-hmm. And so this happened in the mid-50s, and this literally led to, like, through the 1960s, this is what happens if you allow gays in society. Like, yep. n- normal, everyday criminals the resort to higher levels of violence because of gays. And so, um, you know, it kind of... Uh, gave rise to like people like, like Anita Bryant. So the reason I wanted to talk about this is this was in the fifties. And I do feel like, you know, Matthew Shepard, which was in the nineties, he also was targeted by two straight guys who said, let's, you know, try to get this guy for his money. And they said, Oh, well, you know, we wanted to rob him, but he put the moves on us. And I feel there was a lot of people that supported those guys, like a lot of Christian groups. But in general, people saw that and they thought, that's bullshit. That poor kid lost his life and he died on that fence. And that's not right. And overall, society was for Matthew Shepard. Like there were some people that were not. But um, here, the entire society of Miami and Florida was... We need to beef up our laws. We need to root this shit out. Like, I mean, this gay guy caused these people to go to a higher level of crime. Leave it to the gays to be rooting shit out. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, but the absurdity of what you're saying in terms of the mentality of yeah. the people at the time, like uh, these criminals, but for the, their victims being gay, they would have just been ordinarily good criminals they would have just been robbers right yeah and it was like we should sympathize with those folks as opposed to these unassuming gay people granted they're having this disgusting sex with each other but by just and it's almost like there's no logic there it's like because even the attorney general said because you know he had to file charges pretty quickly and he's like no they were committing aggravated robbery that led to murder so if this guy was straight it's like yeah if you want to like rob somebody under these circumstances and things go wrong and you have to kill him that's on you this poor guy was being robbed to begin with um but because he was gay and it's like oh my god and well and there were certain reports within days so they said the police said we thought we would uncover about 30 homosexuals there's about like you know 
colony. Five hundred of a colony, <laughs> and then two days later, it's like we think there's a couple thousand, and then oh a couple days gosh. later, it's like we think there's eight thousand gay people in Miami that's part of this colony that go to these same you know clubs and. Have you been to Miami? Hangout there's a lot spots. of gay people there. Yeah. So anyways, very tragic um, and just it's crazy how the media was able to spin this poor guy losing his life into he was the, you know, propellant for these poor guys doing this crime. It's it, it's baffles. It, it's uh, the the mentality that people have. I mean, I, I didn't get I mean, I think we've, when our coming out stories that you guys mentioned a little bit of bullying, you know, when in high school and middle school, like I, I never experienced that uh, growing up um, other than the occasional like you're this or that. But it was not it was locker room talk. Would I, I would characterize it? I mean, that's what you called each other as guys. Not not right. But that's kind of what. The, yeah. How it, I, I didn't see myself singled out. But recently, Spence and I were on a walk. And we were holding hands, and some guy, you know, he's driving this big truck, and he, mm-hmm. he, I was like, I was looking around, and I just saw that all of a sudden this car like swerved, and I thought it was odd, and then you could see his big middle finger like flicking us off, you know, out of the rear view, like out of the back of his truck, and it was just like, what, why, like, what is it? I mean, so to me, like, this is new, right? I mean, Kendall. Spence, Tony, you, maybe you've experienced this before. Again, other than I think maybe one time when Spence and I, another time we were walking downtown, someone yelled out, fags. And most times, if people yell at us uh, as we're walking, holding hands, people are like, like, y'all are hey, so cute. Yeah, yeah, way to go, yeah. Uh, but this guy like flicked us off and swerved. Like, he almost got in an accident. And I was just like, what? Like, why do you feel the need to? I mean, I wasn't offended. I was just kind of like, what an idiot. Like, what do you? But, I mean. That's an isolated incident, right? I didn't. Again, I didn't grow up with that. But imagine the 1950s. Like all these people have that mentality of like the 1950s. Oh, yeah, you were so gross. And that I, I mean, to- you know, the media painted this like nobody knows any gay people because you know we talk about in the 1960s and 70s, people couldn't come out to anybody because they would were afraid to lose their family, jobs, whatever, their housing. 1950s. Of course, everything is so underground. And so by the media saying like, okay, nobody knows any gay people. This is what gay people mean to society. Get them the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah, That's crazy. I don't know. The media, we have to, another topic we'll have to figure out a way to discuss and debate the media. I think that they, they, they control a lot of the messaging, right? Uh, Not a, a, it's not all bad, but there are some definitely some slants they take to it that I'm like, that's not. And it makes you wonder. So there was this one reporter that really reported all of this, and it makes you think, why was he so anti-gay? Because he I mean, was gay. Exactly. Or, or he had an, because the thing is, some poor guy lost his life. I mean, he was driving down the road, picked up a hitchhiker, lost his life in this horrible way. And he was just so excited to, like, go on this date that night. And it's like... And these guys targeted the gay area because they knew that they could pick up gay guys easily and, you know, let's go to a secluded place. And you know the argument that a lot of conservatives, people have used and still used against hate crime laws is that there are already laws in the books to cover that. Every crime's a hate crime. Yeah. You know, that argument when no obviously you had it lessened when it was <laughs> the murdering of a gay man 
Right. Yeah. Like, oh, but the God. whole point is they're not being prosecuted or they're not being the crimes that they commit are not being prosecuted. So you need them on a hate crimes law bill that makes it higher yeah, repercussions. I would say if this guy was a father of two young kids, straight father of two young kids, and those guys did that to him, there's no way the jury would have said, we feel bad for the defendants, let's lessen the charge. They'd have been like, those poor little kids are home with a single mom now. Fucking throw the book at them, you know? Well, I don't know, because that dad probably, that had the two kids, was probably on Grinder anyway, probably. which makes it a little, you know, you complicated. Mean, it's hard to control, I mean, under, believe the statistics, whatever the cops are reporting or not reporting. I mean, you think about the case of Ahmaud Arbery. I mean, recent, I mean, it's not LGBT, but African-American. I mean, it, it went unreported because they're like, well, you know, and he well, he was a black man in a, in a pre- area he shouldn't have been. And, you know, he, he came at them first, like the, all the justifications. And, yeah, and the thing is, like, that was a, actually, I forgot to mention that this case, that was a, uh, you know, point at the time, like in the 1950s, no mainstream media ever covered anything gay because it's like too taboo. We don't want to touch it. And so this guy purposely did the gay angle, you know, when this guy was murdered. It wasn't like, oh, my God, some poor guy was murdered. It was like, oh, he was gay. So, of course, he like deserved it and everything. Um, Well, apparently that colony of people were doing the gay angle as well. So. Mm-hmm. Like shit, sh- shove me in there, right in the middle. I'd be the obtuse angle. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for. Does the that mean leg spread? Me the, too. The, the geometry joke, uh, and that's all your education, folks. Uh, wow, that's a crazy story. Like, uh, I, th- I definitely think that's a candidate for the Our Spoopy Podcast with uh, Spencer and Chris. You can check them out at ourspoopypodcast.com and all of the relevant social medias on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, yeah, check them out. Uh, they also have our Rupee podcast where they've been doing, they've separated out. So it's its own podcast now, our Rupee podcast where they do, uh, drag race or drag, not just drag race. Cause they do Dragula. They do drag recap. So check them out. They're funny. Um, before we get into our final topic, uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Economy Works. Uh, need help with marketing? Hire a freelancer. You need help building a website? Hire a freelancer. You need help with benchmarking analysis? Hire a freelancer. Economy Works believes in the power of connection and wants to connect you with its talent network. The talent network has over 800 years of experience and growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting, and other specialties. Economy Works, when we work, the economy works. That's C- uh, find out more at E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S.com. All right, final topic. I would like to talk to you guys. You guys ever heard of uh, Steve Indian? No. Indian? Indian. No. E N D E A N. It's sad that I. I guess no one's ever heard of him. Uh, he actually holds a significant place in LGBTQ history. Uh, he bo- he was born and he born he was born and died this week. He was born August 6, nineteen forty eight, and died August fourth, nineteen thirty three. So just uh, two days shy of his forty uh, third uh, birthday. Um, Forty uh, fourth birthday. I have it in my notes. I'll get it to it later. But yeah, just uh, two days short of his mm. birthday, <laughs> and uh, that's forty five years. Um, so, uh, you guys ever heard of the HRC, the Human Rights Campaign? Yep. Well, Mr. Steve Indian is the founder of that, 
And I tried to look up his name. This is why I keep pronouncing uh, that it awkwardly because the way I heard, and it, I can't even, uh, interestingly enough, for some guy who founded the Human Rights Campaign, there's no YouTube video of him. And he died in 1993. So you'd think you'd be able to find some speech of him or something. So he wasn't even human. So maybe he wasn't. He was subhuman. Maybe he's living in that colony. He just faked his death. No. We're all um, trying to get to that colony. Can we get to that colony? Uh, but, you know, you figure, because most people you can see, you can find a video of them, some old transcript uh, of them talking about something, mentioning their name. Nothing. Some doing some speech at some university. Nothing. And this guy was a big deal. I began finding. Well, now we can see all that on someone's Instagram. But yeah, but like I said, a lot of the stuff, any one we've, any topic that I've done, I've generally been able to find some transcript of. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I was able to see an interview, but like something, I, but that was written. I was usually able to see some video, and I nothing on this guy. Like I said, this guy was a. a a big deal. Uh, so let's talk about him. Why are we talking about him? He founded the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, so, and he was the first gay lobbyist, uh, the, the most prominent gay lobbyist uh, that came about in the 1970s. And so, um, growing up, uh, our friend here, he was born in Iowa, raised in Minnesota. So, this Midwestern boy, he described himself as a Midwestern Catholic boy who loves sports and sex. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> That's his grinder profile I still to this day. I, I, I was seeing, I was waiting for the pause. Uh, we didn't even talk you about it, tell but, me but I knew it was coming. I was like, <laughs> I'm so ready for where's it. Where's the wolf? <laughs> uh, as a college student, he went to the University of Minnesota, which is kind of where he kind of found himself. He was uh, studying polit- uh, political science, really interested in politics. Uh, he volunteered supporting various local and state political candidates and was inspired by, so he was going to college at the time of Stonewall and was really inspired by uh, the events there in 1969. He came out at age 22, so this was in the early 70s when he came out, realizing the times, like the momentum was shifting for the gay rights movement. Um, but he also recognized, again, he had this, and, and he actually kind of, there's a, it's a, no, take no offense, Kendall, but there's a little bit of, uh, he reminds me a little bit of you, Tony, and a little bit of me, uh, in terms of, because he came to this realization that, because I think you've said this, in terms of your interest in politics, but recognizing, like, maybe in your younger 20s, well, I think in your later 30s, you're like, you don't really want to deal with the bullshit, uh, but realizing, like, you can't be gay and, also a politician and so he came to that realization said okay i've got to approach i still want to be involved in politics but i got to come at it a different way uh so he would you know devote himself after he graduated and even before he graduated decided he was going to devote the rest of his life to progressing the gay rights movement uh through through process so less than you know not so much being a candidate Mm. running for office but advocating for legislative action uh, I'm noted uh, at the start that he was the first gay rights lobbyist, and so in 1971 he founded the Minnesota's Gay uh, Minnesota's Gay and Lesbian Political Group. So imagine this, he he's 21 years old, right? And he's finding uh, he's founded this legislative group, this lobbyist group for gay and lesbian when that movement had just started. So that's pretty, you know. You talk about big balls. Wait, you were. Uh, 1971. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'd like to see the moose knuckle in his pants because, I mean. Big Midwestern <laughs> moose knuckle <laughs> farm. Uh, but, you know, the fact farm that he, he was trying day. to do that, I mean, he was, again, inspired by the Stonewall riots. He knew what was happening and uh, with these various, like the Mattachine Society, Daughters of Belitis. You had these other, um, 
some of these other activists, you know, lobbying the uh, the American Psychological Association to you know, dec- um, yeah. uh, delist uh, homosexuality from being a mental illness. Like all these sorts of things are happening, and he's like, I want to be part of this, right? And I and I don't want to just talk to the APA and 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 in March. He's like, we need things to happen. So he decided to take up the cause uh, from a political standpoint, but it made people uncomfortable, right? I mean, we, and we've talked about with some of these other activists before, they, they were trying to say, hey, we need to be out, we need to be proud, we need to be visible. And there's a lot of, of the more mature gays who were like, no, no, this is incremental. We're not going to rock the boat. The more we're flamboyant out there, the you know the more pushback we're going to get, right? I mean, we just talked about your story. The poor guy didn't even do anything, right? Yeah, we don't yeah. even know if he was gay or not. I yeah. mean, the media didn't, but they were like they decided to he was gay and that these poor burglars, you know, had nothing no choice. Yeah. When they found out he was because, gay. Because like gay was a mental and they the, I forgot to mention that in my story, but it's like they were like, it's a mental illness. Like these are, you know, mental people. Yeah. So you get to kill the homeless person because they have a mental illness because yeah. they've got a mental. Like none of that makes any sense, right? So, whatever. But this guy, so he was rocking the boat, made people uncomfortable. Of course, because he was out and advocating that, you know, exact opposite of what you know, you're, you're the topic you were talking about, Tony. Um, he had all these homophobic people that were coming out against him saying, you know, awful things. He said one legislator came at him and just yelled a slur and threw a book at his head. Uh, but he was he was committed. Uh, in 1974, he was working uh, to lobby the, the city council or the I think they called them the aldermen of Minneapolis um, for a gay right gay rights ordinance. Um, and uh, while he was doing that, he was. Uh, he was hustling, so he was. He had founded this group. It was funded, so but the funding was only giving him like three hundred dollars a week, or three hundred dollars a month rather. And so he was uh, working hard, also a, a side gig, uh, doing um, doing coat check at a gay bar, uh, where he was known by well hung coats weeby. So going back to the moose Whoa. knuckle. So I guess yeah, mm. <laughs> I guess he did have something. But he used that, that, oppor- that. To, that opportunity as a coat check guy to to hustle, like to politic and this, not just, you know, grabbing coats and making money, but like meeting the who's who, especially some of the closeted folks yeah. like, okay, well, let's talk, let's figure out how we can get some of these things passed. Ultimately, he was successful in 1974. Minneapolis became one of the first major cities to pass uh, a gay rights ordinance, which was, again, we talk about all the things that were yeah. going on at the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and while the gay rights movement was getting some traction, you still had the Anita Bryant circling around and like gaining energy to be anti-LGBT, yep. and they had a large platform. So the fact that he scored this win in Minneapolis was huge. Yep. And one year later, the the city council of Minneapolis actually updated their, their ordinance to include trans rights. So Minneapolis was one of the Get first out, yeah. cities to pass gay rights ordinance and a trans right ordinance rights ordinance he was also lobbying the state uh, which initially he was unsuccessful um but uh i mean it's these efforts because he was like he had the foresight to be like it's not just marching in the streets it's also doing networking with them yeah yeah. networking with the politicians to make sure they understand the issues and to get their vote for your cause and so with everything that was going on in the 70s you had anita bryant and the dade county stuff uh harvey milk was assassinated he decided you know there was a bigger uh, f- fish to fry or fish to catch. And uh, sorry for the fishing analogy. Neither one of you guys fish, huh? That's back at the lesbian bar. I'm pretty fishy, though. Oh, hello. 
I did notice your little walk in those heels. Anyways, uh, he decided to move to D.C. He's like, there's bigger stuff to, to go after. So he said, we need a national movement. And so he joined the gay rights national lobby uh, as the director of the group. When he took over that group, um, it was basically nothing. But he went into D.C. with this mentality of, like, we've got a three-pronged three approach that we need to take if we're going to achieve success. First is to lobby uh, the politicians, which he had you know, gained a reputation for the work that he'd done in Miss, uh, Minneapolis. Second, we need to identify and support gay-friendly candidates, yep. which wasn't really being done at the time because there weren't a lot of people in yeah. our court. And then three was uh, grassroots support. So let's talk about what he did from a lobbying standpoint. Lobbying, like you said, he joined the Gay Rights National Lobby Group as the executive director with the intent of passing pro-LGBT laws. Um, at the time when he took over, that organization was not doing well. Um, he, he had an office which was in a shared space with some other organization. Or he, not even an office, he had a desk. So uh, he said well, the story that's told is there were a lot of unpaid bills. There wasn't even a phone line that he had. So he was against all odds. Uh, two years later, he had turned that thing around where that organization had a staff of 10 and a budget, an annual budget of 300000 so oh, he had wow. gotten some support. Not only, I mean, and when you think about it, when you have no staff, you're the executive director, not only are you lobbying, which is kind of your main job, but you're also trying to find funding so people, so you can yeah. do, do the work. And the fact that he was able and to- And you're buying coffee, making coffee, like yeah. everything. And so, yeah. I mean, that guy's a hustler. Uh, and so it was just impressive Ooh. to kind of read like, <laughs> like his story. And again, for us not to know about it, because the second yeah. big and I think the most lasting impact he had was uh, this concept of, of uh, identifying uh, and supporting gay friendly candidates, which ultimately is the HRC that we know today. So um, he knew there was a need to fundraise and encourage votes for campaigns that would advocate for gay and lesbian civil rights. Uh, and so he launched what was called the Human Rights Campaign Fund uh, in 1980. Uh, and and few, just a few years later, they had registered uh, with the FEC, uh, Federal Election Commission, as a lobbyist group. Uh, and they made their first campaign contribution shortly thereafter. They were the first national gay rights PAC. Uh, so there was nothing really... There were there was support, but there was no, I mean, this was the first established political action committee um, that, that, that they had established by 1982. Yeah. Um, when, he, uh, when he incorporated it uh, um, with the, uh, some other folks, he was the treasurer. Uh, by the time he died, the, what is now the HRC, was a 75,000-member uh, 75, organization, and they had raised $5 million. Wow. They went from nothing and being in this climate of anti-LGBT. And by the time he d died, that was in the 90s, right? So you're, we're battling uh, the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. And that, that organization was able to gain so much momentum that they became, again, the, the, the beast that we know today. Um, from a grassroots standpoint, because he you know, wasn't doing enough stuff, um, he, uh, uh, which is part of the three-pronged approach, right? We need to get... Uh, we need to lobby Congress people, active Congress people. We need to get, we need to elect people that are on our side, and we need people going out to vote and also uh, sending letters to politicians as well as us. You know, all these letter writing campaigns. So he started what it was called the Indian Indians Fairness Fund, and so it was a grassroots program uh, to generate mailgrams and letters to members of Congress. So he was trying to get out, the, you know, get out the vote and get out the message to. 
uh, voters and Congress people to say, hey, you need to vote for, for our issues. And that really kicked into gear when you had these big uh, legislative items that were uh, going to be against the, the LGBT community. Um, that group was also uh, eventually um, absorbed by the, by the HRC because uh, he had kind of got squeezed out of the HRC because of some, uh, some conflicts he had with some folks. Um, but, you know, ultimately he kind of got absorbed back in the HRC with this uh, Indian's Funds group, Fairness Group, uh, and they l later renamed that organization within the HRC the Speak Out Group. And so uh, that was, again, the grassroots campaign uh, arm of the, of the HRC. Um, again, this week in, he died. So back in, in uh, 1993, I mentioned he, was, he died at the age of 44, so just a couple of days before the age of 45. Yeah. Um, he, he died of AIDS. He was diagnosed in 1985. Uh, so at that point, uh, when he was diagnosed with AIDS, recognizing he had a platform, a voice, and some credibility, uh, he started to channel his energy from uh, solely you know, LGBT issues to really uh, you know, advocating for uh, AIDS awareness, AIDS education, AIDS research. Uh, and he really leveraged his, his platform to uh, build larger coalitions with uh, feminists and African-Americans so that they could collectively yeah. say, hey, we have a, a bigger voice and you need to hear us. Uh, we need to do something about HIV and AIDS. Um, I'd say his, his legacy, uh, he's, you know, um, I, you know, it's sad that he, I say a legacy, but none of us know who he, he is despite his, you know, this big thing that we rely yeah, which on. Yeah, it's crazy because everyone knows HRC. HRC, but also the fact that, you know, the the putting into motion. To me, like, I was as I was reading his story, I was like, there's got to be a, uh, an approach he had, which is this three-pronged approach, which goes back to, you know, I've, I've – Criticize, I've praised, but also criticized the Black Lives Movement as well as the the Me Too movement. I'm like, it's great, you know, that you are excited and you're marching in your your pink hats or that you're marching with your Black Lives Matter shirts. But what are you gonna do about it come election time? Tony, you're wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. <laughs> I know you're gonna vote though. You vote in every election, every special election. Right. But not everyone, do, not everyone that's yeah, marching yeah, out there is going to go out there and vote. So, and, and that's yeah, you need everything. You and need, it's not just yeah. the voting, but you need to know what you're voting for. Why are we voting for these candidates? Which candidates are you endorsing? And I know that's an old school mentality, but it's like nothing's going to get done if we don't have the right people right, in I agree. place, right? Yep. And so, to me, if you're part of the Me Too movement, if you're part of the Black Lives Matter movement, make sure you're identifying. This goes back to the pledge we talked about earlier. Make sure you're identifying the candidates that are aligned with your views, because if you think you're going to vote for Donald Trump and the Republican Party, I don't know how they're going to. If you're with Black Lives Matter or Me Too, I don't know how that that org that group of pol politicians is going to vote in your favor, right? So do the research. Um, but so I think, again, his legacy, he wrote a memoir, so you could read more about his story and his memoir into the mainstream. Um, Minnesota, so going back to his early work, right, he passed the, the, the first one, uh, the uh, pro-LGBT ordinances in Minas Minneapolis in the 70s, tried to get Minnesota to do it, didn't at the time, but right before his death, uh, in the spring of, of 1993, Minnesota became the first state to pass a, a non-discrimination bill statewide. So his lobbying, yeah. he actually returned, because he, he, you know, he was suffering and dying from AIDS. He kind of came out, of, and so he basically retired for a period, but he came back out of retirement to lobby the, the Minnesota state 
uh, legislature to get this ordinance passed, which was ultimately passed. So I think that's another kind of defining piece of his legacy. And the last thing I'd say is just the the DHRC. Um, you, you think about what he did. Uh, well, I say the HRC. I mean, the HRC is this, again, this beast of an organization yep. that we know today. 70, 73 million uh, people support it. Uh, three mem- three million. Uh, no, I'm sorry. They have 73 million dollars pledged in support and three million members. So that's a huge organization from from where it came back in the in the yeah. you know almost 40 years ago. I will say the the other thing he in the from a lobbying standpoint, from a legislative standpoint, he really kind of understood like you got to be organized. You know this three pronged approach. But what he was trying to do early on was advocating for a national gay and lesbian civil rights act. Ultimately. Nothing's been passed. I mean, today that looks more like the uh, Today's Equality Act. But, I mean, he was early on saying, here are the things we need to fight for, employment and uh, uh, equality in employment and health care and marriage. And ultimately, while a comprehensive bill hasn't been passed, I mean, he has, you know, he laid the foundations and the strategy, I think, for some of those key wins that we've, we've won today, right? We can get married um, you know, we can uh, just recently, I mean, in 2020, it finally took, but the Supreme Court ruled we couldn't be discriminated against from an employment standpoint. Yeah. We still have some room to, I mean, we still, we've talked about, we still have room to grow, um, still have more to work to do. That's why we got to go vote. Uh, but I think those are some key, like, major wins for some guy that none of us know about. I can't even pronounce his name properly. Yeah. Just sad. It is crazy how somebody like him, like you said, we don't even know his name, but... Uh, he did so much. Yeah. I need to do more research on, I mean, I uh, felt I did it adequate <laughs> for our podcast, but I want to know more about what that conflict is, like why he kind of got, I mean, we know, uh, a lot of these folks, right. That we've talked about before, uh, Dale Lyon, you know, uh, Barbara Giddings, you know, all these folks, um, uh, Frank Kameny, like we know these people. We, I mean, granted, we've researched them, so we've got to know them more, but we didn't. I mean, there's names when I heard them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard that person before, but I've never heard of this guy. And like I said, all those other people I just mentioned, I can hear some audio clip or see some video on YouTube. Can't see any, I couldn't find anything for this guy. So, yeah, um, I think it's odd. So I'm like, like, what happened that he, who did he piss off? The, uh, I'm willing grace they called it uh, the glitterati uh, so I'm like who did he <laughs> who did he take off apparently well Leslie Jordan on willing grace who plays Beverly Leslie on there said his mom and sisters were in Florida and passed a sign and the mom said isn't that cute kissing me Florida and the daughter said I don't think you're pronouncing that right it's kissing me so they stop at a restaurant and say, where are we and how do you pronounce it? And the woman says, Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that story. That's cute. All right. <laughs> On that note, let's wrap this stuff up. You guys you guys got anything uh, anything else before we, we, we call it a show? I could retell that joke. No, that's we're well, good. Of course save you that, could. Save of that course for next could. week. Again, Tony, a happy belated birthday to you. We Thank hope you. it was great. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Although, uh, be it in tr- full disclosure, uh, we're recording before his birthday, <laughs> so that's why it's a little awkward to be like, well, next week and tell us a story. But by the time we record this next episode, it'll oh, be two weeks. Oh, I know it's going to be great. Yeah. After we're always confused. What I got lined up? No I'm kidding. <laughs> you hired yourself a hooker. Congratulations. 
Ripoy.com. What, what do you think that sponsorship <laughs> dollars are going to? <laughs> Ripoy, sponsor us. No, All right, ladies. Well, thank you for uh, listening to our podcast. Uh, well, thank <laughs> you for, uh, rather, you ladies, thank you for joining. Uh, uh, thank you for contributing to a great podcast this week. For everyone listening, thank you for listening to our podcast enjoying the key, and enjoying the Kiki with us. A special thank you to Spencer, who keeps our sound in check. Uh, he's uh, at, he's uh, lobbied for a promotion. He's like, he doesn't want to be the audio engineer anymore. He wants to be the chief information officer, so chief technical <laughs> officer. So it was like, whatever you can put on your LinkedIn profile, boo. Like, if it's going to get you that six figure. As long as he keeps bringing those cookies. There we go. Keep bringing them cookies. <laughs> That's what it, there you go. As long as it keeps bringing them cookies. Uh, don't forget to subscribe so you can hear future episodes. You can visit our website at letstalkaboutgaystuff.com and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. And if you're following us on Twitter, how about a tweet at, uh, at Talk Gay Stuff? Uh, you know, you definitely should follow our social media if you are not because uh, we do a daily post in LGBTQ history. Uh, so that's something you want to um, hear about because the week in LGBTQ history is fun, but so is the day in LGBTQ Come history. Come on now. You can leave us a review Come and tell on, us man. what you think. Uh, you know, I'm not one to beg our, our listeners for reviews, but I mean, if you want to give us a five star review, we haven't had a review in a while. We got the five stars, but no one's written anything nice about us in a while, you know, and sometimes we just. We just want to hear that. Although that said, we, we bleed have, too. We have plenty of friends and family that do text us nice things. So mm-hmm. thank you to 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 you guys. But and we get lots of fun comments on Facebook. So we appreciate that. So uh, like I said, I'm not trying to beg, but if you're you want to, you're so inclined to give us a five star review and uh, tell you know, say nice things about the podcast. By all means, do it. If you don't want to do it in public, you can drop us a line. Spencer hates that term. <laughs> at uh, let's talk about gay stuff at gmail.com again thank you to our uh sister podcast our spoopy podcast which is all part of the listen works network our spoopy podcast our ruby podcast part of the listen that listen works network uh and with that we're here we're queer get used to it <laughs>